You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello everybody, I apologize for the delay, but welcome to episode 72 of 2, 5, and 10. A little bit of a tongue twister there, 72 of 2, 5, and 10. I always like to give a shout out for the number episode and relate it back to a player and say it's a so-and-so episode of 2, 5, and 10, but today I would like to say it's potentially the pre-quarantine version of 2, 5, and 10, so we'll see if we make it there. Yeah, I was going to say this could be the last episode before this epidemic just completely wipes us all out. So, I mean, if there's one last thing you do, it should be listening to 2, 5, and 10. Our voices should help you set off to the pearly gates. Just a soothing David (laughs) Allen Boucher and nighttime magic just to get you there. Yep, and just bitching about David Quinn as you close your eyes. Oh, I was going to say, I know you've been ready for him for a week now, so I I know you're excited to get there. But before we get there, in all seriousness, this, what do we want to call it? This epidemic, this pandemic now, my friend, pandemic, this virus, this black plague. Benny, give us all your thoughts on the Mexican bear virus. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the just kind of relating this back to the NHL and how it's impacting that. I know in a grand scheme of things, uh, hockey doesn't really matter, especially when you have situations like in Italy and South Korea, where whole countries are being shut down and isolated and nobody can move because of the amount of deaths that are going on in those countries. So kind of being upset or annoyed about potential games being canceled by the National Hockey League doesn't really rank that high. But for this podcast, it's A number one. Um, So really, the main points to talk about are what the NHL has said so far. Uh, Really, all they've been saying is they're going to keep in touch with the CDC on the health services in Canada and get their input on the situation. And if uh, the situation can get any worse by uh, having large gatherings, Uh, To that end, Santa Clara, the city of Santa Clara in California, has banned all gatherings of 1,000 people or more in a San Jose Sharks play in Santa Clara County. And because of that, the NHL and the San Jose Sharks have agreed to follow that ban. So the San Jose Sharks are either going to be playing three home games in the next week in San Jose, either at an empty arena, so no fans, or they're going to be playing at a neutral site or playing in the away team's home arena. Uh, and that would count as a home game for the Sharks. So no matter how you slice it for them, they're going to lose out on home ice advantage. Uh, 
kind of going forward, I know there's been a lot of talk of the, the NBA has talked about it. Uh, baseball might actually push back the start of the regular season to May, um, but that hasn't been finalized yet. The potential for NHL teams for the remainder of the season, including the playoffs and potentially the Stanley Cup, to be played in front of empty arenas. Uh, that way that they would limit the exposure of uh, large crowds to each other, social dis- distancing, all those things. Um, I don't know how that would work because, and for a player perspective, because it's a playoff game, but it's just dead silent. It's like a scrimmage in Traverse City in June. Um, so I don't know if it carries the same intensity. Uh, obviously, that would hurt some teams more than others. Uh, the worst case scenario is canceling the playoffs in the Stanley Cup final, uh, which kind of going back to the Spanish flu of 1919, they stopped the Stanley Cup final midway through the series because some of the players and coaches got the Spanish flu and some of them died. Uh, so that year was the first year that the Stanley Cup wasn't awarded. The next year was the lockout year of 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's the worst-case scenario, obviously, but it's just a very fluid situation right now on how sports leagues at, like the NHL are going to handle it. And what do, you, do you think it's worth it to play in front of empty arenas for a Stanley Cup final game seven, or would they be better off just kind of pushing it back, canceling it, doing something? I th- I think it would be horrible for the game if, if there was an empty game seven. Like, that would be stupidity i mean home ice advantage to some teams means the world to some teams it doesn't mean anything you've seen plenty of teams come in on a game seven and the road team wins it all they're just more focused whether they're on the road or not but can you imagine just playing in front of nobody you you go from twenty thousand plus to nobody in the stands i know know lebron said the NBA is considering doing that, and LeBron said, "If I show up and there's no fans, I ain't playing." Well, you know, LeBron made it seem like he he said he does it all for the fans. So if the yeah, fans aren't there, he's not it's playing. Yes, dude. But to me, like the obviously health comes first. I'm not yeah. gonna haste come here and say that you know this is ridiculous that they're canceling things. I'm very surprised that the San Jose Sharks are indeed following this. I was not expecting that but could you imagine th- this would be a worcester sharks game for them <laughs> yeah brown seat giveaway. <laughs> brown seat, like brown t-shirt giveaway and i i think about it the other way of the amount of revenue that would be lost from a team perspective and ticket sales are gone like do you see an nhl team reimbursing all those people for tickets I don't. I see them do it for all the season ticket holders. Oh, well, we'll comp you a game next year to kind of make it worth it. But they're missing out there. They're missing out on concessions. It seems like there would be a whole bunch of things that would then rattle downhill. Yesterday afternoon, the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and the uh, Major League Soccer, the MLS, they all sent out a joint statement that they are not allowing media into the locker room. Due yeah, to, that's a big thing. That's huge. And now, is everything going to be like playoff-like press conferences? Because that would be the only availability they would have. And for 
beat writers, that's a nightmare. C- can you imagine you just you have an in with Jake DeBrus? That's kind of your guy. You go to him every couple of days. You get a little line in the paper. You're on your way. Now it's like the reverse side of it where as a player, I think you have a comfort level with certain guys. But now if you're just trying to get a note via text message, now if all that becomes text message, like if a guy doesn't say off the record or, you know, you could talk to someone in person, like, yeah, don't write that. Those things are fine. But can you imagine a guy sending, hey, how do you feel about last night's? Oh, well, you know, Tory Krug was a little slow last night. He cost us a goal. LOL. Ah, well, you know what? I'm not typing in the LOL. I'm just putting Tory Krug was slow last night, cost us a goal, Jake DeBrusque. Yeah. So I, I think on that end, it could be very ugly for media interaction between players. So if everything's press conference-like or, I mean, could you see it being like the Pope Mobile where people walk into a press conference and now that's like plexiglass around there so there's no actual con like you can't see them if someone sneezes the plexiglass covers it if someone burps and farts you can't smell it like it's just a completely different element and i think this is scary on every level i mean the nhl nor any of the four major sports want to see any of their people actually get this and be out that would be awful and then imagine the whole locker room side of things how many times do we hear of a flu bug going through a locker room yeah a stomach bug can you imagine a team a, a team's out with fucking the coronavirus L- like their lungs are now being just crushed they're all on oxygen masks yeah the thing so chicago they had that last night where they and the rangers did this too in their last game uh, where they made select players available for podium availability. So no locker room access. A couple players from each team would go out to the podium like it was the Stanley Cup playoff game, answer a few questions, and that was it. And it's a weird dynamic. And listen, like I said earlier, stopping the spread of this because it's here, It's there's going to be more cases, it's going to... The case the amount of cases diagnosed are going to skyrocket the more tests that are given out. Uh, health takes precedent, like you said. To that end, beat riders shouldn't be flying to these away games. They shouldn't be flying with the team. They shouldn't be flying to these arenas. I'm sorry, but you got to stay home. Like at this point, there's no reason for uh, like a guy like Dan Shaughnessy to be flying back and forth with the to cover Red Sox games in spring training around Florida and then flying to Boston and then flying to Toronto. Like, there's no point in that. Like, that's non-essential. Uh, and for games itself, I think it really just depends on which league's going to have the biggest balls to go first and either cancel games or play in empty arenas and then the rest will follow. So it's really just, they don't want to be the first one but as soon as somebody else goes, I feel like the rest of them will just go along with it. And the first lady actually had a nice burn earlier. I was explaining that we're going to be talking about this on the podcast. And she said, man, aren't you lucky that the Rangers have no shot at winning a Stanley Cup the year that it could be canceled? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, silver lining and everything. Right, babe? <laughs> and was this while she was wearing the outfit of the day? Uh, this was as she was wearing the outfit of the day on the way home from dinner. So, yes, you are correct. 
and uh, you did bring up a very good point about the whole Dan Shaughnessy thing. Uh, this isn't related to Dan Shaughnessy, but Mike Gorman, the voice of the Boston Celtics, he came on the radio today and he said that it has already been discussed that even the color commentary wouldn't be flying on the team plane. And oh, yeah. they would be either A, doing the broadcast from Boston for an away game, in the studio or oh, like a studio call like a studio call or that they would just have on the NBCS Sports New England feed they would have the home team's radio feed or the home team's oh, wow. so yeah i think teams are scared and for them to not even have their own color and play by play guys actually go on the plane or it's been discussed like this is real this is very real <laughs> I got to say two things. One, to go back to a point you made earlier about if they play with no fans in the arena, they lose merchandise, food sales, all that stuff. You got to believe that if that's a decision that the league, especially like the NHL, will dip into their pool of uh, emergency reserve money that they are known to have to kind of bank uh, bankroll some of these teams through this situation. So I doubt that teams are going to like actually suffer through that but for me if i'm a player and i show up to the arena and the media isn't allowed into the locker room the play-by-play guys aren't allowed to travel with the team fans aren't allowed to come into the arena but i'm still supposed to show up and travel on planes and go to airports and shake hands and do all this shit and play hockey like fuck you i have a family too well well the other thing is this too uh you get into Pick an NHL city, anyone. Dallas. Dallas. You get into Dallas. Uh, you go into the hotel. Uh, you shut it down for the night. You go out for pregame skate the next day. You go back to the hotel for a little uh, pregame meal, a nap. Well, the guy who prepared your food doesn't know he has coronavirus, and he didn't wash mm-hmm. his hands good enough, and n- now it's in the salad that everybody's eating. The, the, one of the guys sneezed. And hey, it was a little bit left over. Now it was in the pregame chicken and fucking pasta. Yep. So and that's the thing. It's, it's not just the locker room thing. Like this is all everything. Yeah, it's crazy. And here in New York, like I've gone to work as normal the last week and a half, almost week and a half. I see a noticeable difference in the amount of people riding the subway or just walking around midtown Manhattan during the day. So like you can see that there's a noticeable shift in people either working from home or just deciding to get around a different way, which is a good thing. But like, I don't know how it is in Boston, but people aren't freaking out here. Like, yes, they're stocking up. There's no run on toilet paper here. Like you see on the news, people are, not being assholes on the subway or on the street. There's still plenty of tourists around. Everybody's being cautious and seemingly trying to do the right thing, but they're not losing their minds. But I don't know how it is in Boston or like around the rest of the country. I just think it's a Northeast mentality of just put your head down and fucking deal with it until we're told otherwise. But I got like, I don't think there's any reason why the subway is fucking running right now. Especially if you think that this is such an epidemic and situation that you would allow a million people a day to like touch the same handlebars and ride around the city and spread it. 
Well, I know here that just traffic in general, I'm, I'm not a subway guy, I kind of drive in and out, but there have not been as many cars on the road. So I, I do believe that, yes, people are definitely working from home. Uh, another thing was I ran in and out of the city today after I had gotten the kids. And I mean, a trip at traffic time, which could have taken me God knows how long I made it down and back in an under an hour and 15 minutes in traffic time. Damn. Th- that's, that's not the norm by any means. And yeah, I know that I drive too. So that's, <laughs> and one, one other thing is, uh, I, I work for the town of Arlington, Arlington, Massachusetts, and one of the schools, a parent had contracted the virus. So they had closed the school Monday. Uh, one of the guys I work with, uh, his daughters go to that school. So they had the day off. Uh, it was about 12 o'clock Monday. Uh, him, the wife, the kids, they were going to get something to eat and his phone rang. And it was the Department of Health saying, no, uh, all of you get home in quarantine right now. Yeah. And it ended up being afterwards that they came out and said that the parent, um, so the daughter is actually in one of his kids' classes, and the daughter ended up testing positive. So now his kid is at home in quarantine because the daughter tested positive. It's wow. crazy, man. It's insane. Yeah. So it's definitely a situation where I think over the next, so we're recording this on Tuesday, what is it, March 10th? March 10th, I feel, yeah. I feel like over the next seven to 10 days, we're going to have a real clarification on just what in the fuck is going on in terms of how severe it is here in the United States and then also how it's going to impact the NHL, the playoffs and things like that. So I think right now it's kind of a wait and see approach, which is what we're going to have to take here when it comes to discussing it on a podcast. But I think maybe by the time we record next week, but definitely after, I feel like there's going to be some resolution about uh, a final decision about how games are going to be handled or the playoffs and things like that. Yeah, I, I do think that over this next week or next couple of weeks, and I don't want to sound pessimistic or anything, but I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I know we've had a whole bunch of new cases popping up. Colorado cl- declared a state of emergency. Massachusetts declared a state of emergency. Like, I, I just think the numbers are definitely going to rise, and then from there we will see exactly what happens like you said like what is the actual code and protocol going forward well speaking about going forward i think we've talked about the coronavirus plenty enough on a hockey podcast i think if we circle back to our boys in boston and new york here and talk about i guess the last two weeks uh in review uh since we didn't record last week what's been going on with the bruins up in boston I know I, I don't know how severe the injuries are to uh, Krug and Carlo. Um, but you can update me on that, and then also just what in the hell happened against the Lightning? Uh, well, well, that turned into fight night. Let's get ready to rumble. But um, no, circling back on the wagon, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, the Bruins before saturday night at the lightning that they were kind of on a roll they had played dallas the week before 
on a Thursday night. Me and Stratty watched that from the nines while getting 100% on trivia. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, then after that, on Tuesday, we, we went on the Florida trip. So on Tuesday, we played the Lightning down in Tampa Bay. Uh, we beat them down there. And one thing I noticed about that game towards the end of it was anytime Tampa needed a response, they sent out that fourth line of Maroon, Gord, and Sorelli. That they would send those guys out there, and they were in the middle of everything. And one of them was towards the end of the second period. I look, and Maroon's in Carlo's face, and Gord's in somebody else's face. Gord actually ended up fighting Nordstrom. And... I noticed that those guys were doing their job, whatever it took. And they were going after guys that they wanted to take off the ice, like Patrick Maroon taking Brandon Carlo off the ice. Like that's a win for Tampa. Yeah. So I noticed that towards the end of that game, uh, we went into Florida, uh, one there, and then we end up coming back and we're playing Tampa on Saturday night in Boston. And, I forget it was Barkley Goudreau. Barkley Goudreau ended up hitting somebody next yeah, shift. He was in. And behind in that, like sideboards, right? Yes. And then next shift when Wagner came out, they went to go. The refs broke it up. When they got out, the two minutes for roughing was up. They went. They had their fight. I thought that was fair. I thought it was clean. And then the game just little by little just started getting chippy and chippy and chippy. I know the biggest one saw was... Uh, Zdeno Chara was in the offensive corner. Mikhail Sergachev ends up. I don't think it was that bad of a hit. I thought it was a little awkward just because Z's a little bent over there, but I don't think Sergachev really blew him up too much. Uh, the big fella was not very happy with them, challenged him, challenged him, challenged him. Didn't want to fight. Uh, the Bruins end up scoring through this melee, but it wasn't called yet. Uh, the ref was kind of on the goal line, but someone was in front of him. The puck was kind of just over, just out. Play continued. Then finally the buzzer goes off, the siren. So Toronto calls in saying it's a good goal. And then once his play stopped, all hell breaks loose. Uh, Patty Maroon tries to fight Zdeno Chara. Zdeno Chara is more than willing. And then Sorelli comes with a nasty cross check to the back. Drops oh, the big fella. Yep. And then it was just kind of everybody running in. Uh, McAvoy and Cernak. Corrali comes like WWE style from the bench, takes down Killorn. Uh, Coyle got into it with somebody. And then finally, at the end of this, uh, Chara and Maroon end up fighting. Uh, Maroon gets the takedown. I mean, Z's gassed after about a minute and a half shift and then all this other shit. And... The one thing I noticed, which was crucial to me, is this. The boys are sticking up for each other. That's, yeah, let's go, boys. Everything's good, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that, that's great. They're, they're together. They're more than willing. I'm okay with it. What I'm not okay with is this. Every one of those fights, the Bruins lost. They, mm -hmm. they, they were all on their back. And a part of hockey and the momentum and everything else is winning those it is winning those fights because that way people won't fuck with you if you're the big dog in the yard they're not going to try to rattle you they're not going to rattle your cage like i love charlie mcavoy the, the kid's not a fighter he, he gets bundled every time fucking cernak yeah. takes him right down and 
is it his fault he doesn't really know how to fight no but at the same time it's like how many of these are you going to get into and lose Corrali comes in he takes down Killorn they wrestled that was fine Coyle I mean he ends up going after Sorelli who gave Z that cross check you should be pummeling him you come in gloves off flying take him down and start teeing off nope he gets taken down like to me it just seems that <coughs> excuse me the Bruins need to be tougher and at the deadline I feel like they should have addressed this better Nick Ritchie's not your answer like he's been okay he's been a big body he he's not like we've should have sent you a fifth or sixth round conditional pick for Michael Haley just to reassure everybody that if shit gets out of hand you're gonna have to answer and I think in a thing like that, it makes sense because Tampa is so much tougher this year than they were last year. I think Tampa can make that push now. They weren't tough against Columbus. They couldn't get anything going offensively, and they couldn't win any fights. Now it's kind of that 180. It's a different look for them. The whole thing with the uh, Sorelli and Chara and... Pat Maroon situation. I know things have been kind of getting drowned out of the whole coronavirus thing and just being busy, but did Corrali get to 10 gamer? He did not. They did not say he came from the bench. Uh, I still have not seen an angle, but legitimately, if you watch that replay on YouTube, he comes the fuck out of nowhere. He comes the fuck out of nowhere. Yes, <laughs> he comes flying out. I did see the Tampa bench pointing, like, "Hey, he's running from there," because it, it almost seemed that way. But there's no other angle as to how Crowley got in there, and maybe, luckily for him, with all a hundred and something cameras in the room, that they did not see exactly what happened. Uh very interesting to see a coach actually get tossed from the game. One of the Tampa yeah. assistants gets the boot. It was it was something else, man. I was excited to see it, but like I said, I do think the Bruins need to win those fights. Uh, currently playing Philadelphia tonight, who is coming in very hot. Uh, Nine-game win streak, pretty good. So I'm hoping we can do something here. We'll see exactly what it is. Let's see. It is... Boston currently on a power play. Three minutes, five seconds left in the second. Zero, zero. Yeah, and, and I tell, told you that we need a best of seven. The fact that it would only be in a second round and wouldn't be for a, the conference championship is the one thing I can't stand about this playoff format. Um, just like a couple of years ago when Nashville and Winnipeg were the two best teams out west, but they weren't going to face in the conference uh, finals. So it's definitely upsetting. Uh, looking just right now at the playoffs, the Bruins currently number one in the East. They would play wild card to Carolina. Uh, currently seventy nine points. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I don't know. I mean, the Islanders don't look like they're looking much better there. Wrong New York team, my friends. Wrong New York team. Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, underneath <laughs> Florida, there's another New York team. They're kind of, kind of straddling there at 76 points. So, w w what's your thought on the boys in the Big Apple? Yeah, let me preface this little rant here about David Quinn by saying, if you told me back in September that the Rangers would be playing 
for a playoff spot and be only three points out of a playoff spot in mid-March, I would have signed up for it immediately just because of where I thought we would be in a rebuild. But now that you're here, you want to fucking get it. So but before the whole rant thing, this past Saturday, first of all, Mika Zibanejad last week against the Washington Capitals scores five goals in a game, including the OT winner uh, on a breakaway. A thrilling 6-5 win at the Garden against the Caps, which included two goals by Ovechkin. He scored with, I think, 42 seconds left to tie it, uh, which sent it to overtime. And then we follow that up with a game against the New Jersey Devils at home and get absolutely fucking out-hustled, out-hit, out-worked, out-strategized against. And that was a must-win game. That's that should have been an easy two points. And I know the Devils have been playing better lately. I think they're 6-2-2 two two, uh, in the last 10. Like, good for them. That You have to win that game if you consider yourself a playoff contender. And the fact that they played down to their opponent, lost that game, that was crushing because Columbus ends up winning in Vancouver uh, in their next game. Carolina and the Islanders played each other on Sunday, I believe, and that or Saturday, and that went to overtime, so both teams got a point. You blew your game in hand that you had on both Carolina and the Islanders with a loss to the Devils now. So that was just a very crushing loss against the Devils. And then, like you said, Florida's turned it around, so now they're right there with the Rangers. So if they end up missing the playoffs by a point or two, that's really one of the losses this year that I'm going to pinpoint and say, like, you are rolling as a team, and you still throw up a stinker like that. So that might end up being crushing, hopefully not. But that kind of leads me into the whole David Quinn issue here. And I know a lot of Ranger fans are sucking his clit right now, saying that he should be up for the Jack Adams if they get into the playoffs. What has he done that makes you think he's the coach of the year? When Mika Sabanajad has to score five goals in a game to win, fantastic, great coaching. When Artemi Panarin has to have a career year, Sabanajad, Kreider, all these guys have Pavel Buchnevich is ending up having a career year. You need stellar goaltending from three different guys just to get you within sniffing distance of a wild card spot, and that's Jack Adams worthy. Get the fuck out of here. This guy let me ask you, Kevin, as an outsider, what is the Rangers team identity? Uh, the team identity to me would be the high-powered guys that you have on the offense. I, I would roll it, with them and go yep. with that heavy top six. Exactly. So, And they have a top five power play this year. Like, good. How much is that on the talent versus Quinn? Or uh, the assistant coach that runs it? You know, like, it's the chicken before the egg kind of thing. So... Quinn was here last year. The power play fucking sucked. Now they have Panarin, Sabanajan, and a crowd to take his stuff forward. And all of a sudden, now the power play is good. So which one is it? You know, I'm sure it's, I, I know it's a combination of the two. But I don't see an identity from the coaching staff, if that makes sense. Like, there's a difference for me between a team identity and a team identity from the coaching staff. When Barry Trotz is coaching your team, Everybody around the league knows exactly what they're going to get from that team night in and night out over the course of an 82-game season. When Elaine Vigneault is your coach, everybody knows what you're going to get. When Joel Quenville is your coach, on down the line. David Quinn's head coach, what are you going to get from the Rangers? 
you're going to give up the most high percentage shots in the league by far. And the only reason why you are where you are is because your offense, having well, your superstars having career years, and goaltending by a, the rookie Igor Shosturkin. Hanks had his run. Georgiev's had his run. But their defensive structure is extremely lacking. Their penalty kill is terrible. And I know Lindy Ruff, I don't know, he should be out of a job by the time the season's over and next season begins. But you can't blame that all on him. It's like blaming a defensive coordinator for everything. Well, the coach oversees that. And to combine that with, you see guys like Neil Pionk leave New York and just blossom in Winnipeg. And then Truba comes here and he craters. He's not anything remotely close to how he was playing in Winnipeg. And you've seen that since Quinn's been here. Guys come here, they play below standards, they leave, they play better. And I know the bottom six roster construction isn't great. He had to play Brendan Smith for half the year. I get it. The team's rebuilding. I get it. Kako is one of the worst forwards in the National Hockey League this year in terms of production versus ice time. I get it. He has limitations with the roster. But if you take David, if you took David Quinn and pulled him from the Rangers this year and put in an average run-of-the-mill NHL coach, would there be much of a difference? That's how I look at coach of the year's team identities. I don't think there would be much of a difference. If you put, look at the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've dealt with how many injuries to their guys. Plenty, They've, yeah. Yeah. Look where John Tortorella has him. Everybody left him for dead even a couple weeks ago when the Rangers were surging. They're right back. They have 81 points. They're in the first wild card. They're only three points behind Pittsburgh for third in the division. Can you imagine Torch with this roster, with the Rangers? Like, we'd be competing with the Flyers, where the Flyers are right now. Yeah, That's kind of my Torch issue. bringing in that actual defensive structure where you're not exactly. giving up those shots. Exactly. Yeah. And Panarin played well under him. So, like, you know what I mean? So, that's my one complaint is what credit should he be getting here? Like, yes, he's new to the league. He's not a terrible, bad coach. I'm just saying he's not a great one. Like, I don't think he's the guy. I've been saying this all year this year. I don't think he's the guy that's going to be here when you want to turn a corner. And the Rangers want to turn a corner next year. And you have coaches out there like Gerard Gallant and Peter LaViolette and guys like that that are available. Bruce Boudreaux. You're going to keep David Quinn over them? Like, sorry, sorry, Dave. That's, that's the business. Like, if I'm in charge here and those three, one of those three guys is open to it, especially a guy like Gallant or Boudreaux, I'm slipping Quinn in the pink slip this summer. Um, the other thing that leads me to that, I'll make this quick. I don't want this to be all about David Quinn and the Rangers is his mismanagement of the goaltending situation with Henrik Lundqvist. And I don't know if he has a personal issue with Hank or if there's something going on behind the scenes with Lundqvist and Quinn or even Lundqvist and, and the organization. But I get riding Igor Shosturkin when as much as possible when he's healthy. I get it. I wouldn't be playing Hank over Igor. Totally understandable. But the fact that since January 1st, Lundqvist has only had seven appearances and two of them were in relief roles is inexcusable. The Rangers had three back-to-backs in February 
Lundqvist started none of them. And that included when Shesterkin was hurt for two out of the three. Georgiev got four of those starts. Four out of six starts in a back-to-back went to Georgiev. He played for the first time against the Flyers last week. Looked rusty. No shit. He hadn't played since uh, early February. So a month between starts. Sitting on a bench. Not playing at all. Gets thrown in. Looks terrible. They go right back to Georgiev. Who himself lays a stinker. And then after the game, no hesitation from Quinn. We're going right back to Georgie because I like how he bounces back from losses. Oh, I wish there was some type of sample size that would show that Henrik Lundqvist is good at bouncing back after tough losses. What would that be? Would it be a 15-year career where he is the best goalie in the league, the best goalie in franchise history, leading a team to a Stanley Cup final? Gee, I wish Lundqvist had that type of resume where a two-year-old college coach would be able to understand that so the com- combined with the comments about Georgiev while Hank Ross on the bench the mismanagement of not getting him at least two of those back-to-back starts in February so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy the longer Hank sits the less you want to play him because it's been so long since he started but the longer you don't start him you can't play him so just that mismanagement there, especially when Ewer was out and has been out. Now he's back healthy, uh, so he's going to be getting the starts. Perfectly okay with that. But that just showed a real blind spot to me for Quinn in terms of knowing how to handle a situation, especially with the franchise icon on, while still trying to put yourself in a position to win. So those two things has got me way off the David Quinn bandwagon, especially with guys like Gallant and Bujo and even LaViolette available. All right. Now, since we're on that, on the bandwagon, off the bandwagon, does Hank get any starts down the stretch here? Any? So looking at the Rangers schedule, they have a back to back tonight and tomorrow. They're playing Dallas tonight. Uh, I think Shesterkin is getting a start, which is fine because they have, they have had the last two days off. Hank played on Saturday against the Devils. He played the third period after Shesterkin got pulled. If he doesn't start against the Avalanche tomorrow night, I don't see him getting a start the rest of the year unless the Rangers are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And then it's going to be a let's toss him in a fans a bone that last week of the season because they do have a back-to-back against the Flyers and Penguins. And then the last game of the year is at home against the Blackhawks. So... If they're mathematically eliminated, I feel like it's going to be a, oh, we owe him, he's done so much for the organization, bullshit. But if he doesn't play tomorrow night, I don't think he plays until we're eliminated or they clinch a playoff spot, which is fucking sickening. And I know Shosturkin is great, but like if I was Hank, I'd be, I'd be pissed this last month and a half, two months. All right, now one other question because I just like going down this path sometimes. <laughs> you make it in the playoffs. Yeah. You lose the first two games. Maybe one of them was close. The second one, Shashirshkin lays a shitter. You go back to him or you go Georgiev or Hanky? If they, uh, let me put it to this way. If the Rangers make the playoffs and in the first two games, Shashirshkin just lays duds. And game three comes around and they go with Georgiev. I will lose my fucking mind. 
I will lose my mind. And I get long term, if they're if the organization has decided, listen, we have a decision to make this summer. We have to either keep Yorgiev or keep Hank. Salary cap wise, age wise, it makes sense to keep Yorgiev. That's perfectly fine. But don't you want to win now? And I'm sorry, Yorgiev, he might have a good career ahead of him. He's played solid. He's not He's definitely not a franchise goaltender, but he's not like a Michael Hutchinson type. Like he's he's solid. If you're in the playoffs and he gets to start over Hank, I will lose my shit. And whatever team Hank goes to over the summer, whether he's bought out and signed somewhere or gets traded in the offseason, that will be my team until he retires. And that will be my team until David Quinn is gone. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I think I have a better understanding now if that's what you're asking. <laughs> but strategy-wise, if Igor plays bad and you're having that conversation, once you bench him, do you, and let's say you go with Hank or you go with Georgiev in Game 3 and then they play poorly, can you really go back to the kid in Game 4 after you, he knows that you lost confidence in him? You know what I mean? So I think you just kind of roll with it and give him that experience of playoff atmosphere, get it out of the way, things like that. Yeah, I just go off of like Hank's previous playoff experience and yeah. a guy who wouldn't be scared to jump in there and do it. And it's not as like, I know he hasn't been playing, but we're not saying that Lundquist sucks here. Like we're not no, saying, he he, like it's just one of those things of how would you react to it and as a comfort level, this is a guy who's how many Eastern Conference Finals has he brought you guys to? He brought you to the one Stanley Cup final. Uh, three, I believe. I was going to say, yeah, I believe three, it was three. three. Like it, the experience is there, so I think if it came down to it and you had to put a guy in, it's like, well, like you said, if he doesn't go in there and Georgiev does, he's gone. Like yeah. you know that that that's the way that is. It's just I don't know, crazy to me sometimes. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it, and I know people might look at goals against average and save percentage and say that Gugev looks like he's slightly outplaying Hank this year. He hasn't. If you look at all the advanced statistics and you look at the shots that have been faced, and this is for the entire league, so shots faced versus expected goals against. So the higher up in a percentile a goaltender is, the better he's performing against what the the model suggests he should be performing against. Hank is number one in over the entire National Hockey League in that category. He's faced the most difficult shots and yet played the best in that against those shots. Out of any goalie in the league. And we're sitting here talking about him not getting a start in back-to-backs for Alexander fucking Georgiev. Like, I, I know I texted you this last week, but that start against Philly really pissed me off where Hank was left out to dry like that after not playing for so long. I was pacing, man. I was like, fuck David Quinn, that piece of shit. He has no respect. <laughs> so I was definitely fanboying, fanboying these last couple of weeks. But, yeah, I lost, I lost a lot of uh, gumption for Quinn here. All right. Well, where would you like to transition to next? Uh, we can go into our picks of the week. I got a little bit for today in NHL history, and then uh, we can give shout-outs. All right. Uh so my pick for game of the week, I think this is a big one in the Metropolitan Division just with 
where the standings are. Pittsburgh currently third in the Metropolitan. Columbus in that first wild card spot, only three points back. They're playing each other Thursday night. I think that if Columbus can squeak one out here, I think Pittsburgh's a little on their heels and very uncomfortable as to where they could fall to. And then for my lock of the week, I figured if Nashville wants to make their push, here it is, and they're looking at the team right in front of them that has the spot, Nashville at Minnesota on Sunday. So my game of the week was I also had Pittsburgh and Columbus pegged, so I'll go with a second one just to make it easy. I'm going to go with Philly and Tampa Bay, same night, Thursday, March 12th. Uh, Philly playing extremely well. Elaine Vigneault, no shit. Being a good coach in the National Hockey League, he's got a team outperforming what everybody thought. Uh, my lock of the week is going to be the next night. I'm going to take an easy one here at Boston on, on the road against the Buffalo Sabres. All right. I, I like your pick. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I got two for today in NHL history from March 10th, both ver- fairly recently. Uh, in 2000, Vinny LeCavillet is named captain of the Tampa Bay Lightning. At age 19, he becomes the youngest full-time captain in NHL history, a distinction previously held by Stevie Eiserman, who was 21 when he was named captain of the Detroit Red Wings in 1986. And a fun one here, 2002, Evgeny Nabokov of the San Jose Sharks becomes the seventh goalie in NHL history to score a goal, but the first to score a power play goal. Ah, I like that. That's a good one. Uh, who you got for shout-outs? So this week for shout-outs... Uh, I, I got to shout out Stratford for our impeccable performance at the 99 <laughs> last weekend. Legitimately got 100. It was Bruins trivia night. Uh, we banged out the Bruins part of it. That was no problem. But Stratty came through in the clutch with uh, the answer of it was it was a rubbery substance that finally went into the Toy Hall of Fame. And we're thinking, and he's like, silly putty. It has to be silly putty. And sure yeah, enough, so he ends up that was the one that sailed the deal for us. So we, we get called out, which was, uh, awkward. I'm not going to lie. It's like, who's team two, five and 10. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck. We like raise our hands. And she like comes over to us. She's like, did you guys cheat? We're like, no. And she's like, I didn't think you did because you guys come here for the most part every week and play and you guys don't even rank. She's like, <laughs> Oh no. I mean, we're, we're honest. Like you see some of the other people there and fucking they're on their phones the whole time, even though like, don't use your phones. The guy's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. Yeah. That's the one like they're screaming. But, uh, so we end up crushing it. She loves us anyways, the bartender there. She's very nice. Christine. So big shout out to Christine at the nines. And, um, yeah, so, so we had a good showing there. And then... It's that UMass education. It's the UMass, that state of Massachusetts education. Um, she was just happy because once we said that we knew the Bruins stuff, we actually plugged the pod. I don't know if we got any brand new listeners, but we said it. I, unfortunately, I went there straight from awake that night, so I did not have the 2, 5, and 10 hat. So uh, I, I dropped the ball there. I apologize. Um, and then another shout out is going to my coworker, Georgie, who him and his wife, Karen, are going to be expecting or delivering a baby girl on Friday. So congratulations oh, nice. to them and uh, congratulations on all the sleep that you're going to lose, Georgie. You're welcome, <laughs> bud. Congrats, even though they have no idea who the hell I am. Uh, <laughs> shout outs for me, First Lady, as always. Uh, I 
she is very happy to hear that you've been enjoying her outfit of the day segments on Instagram. Once again, she's picked that back up. Um, also want to give her a shout out because, uh, as I, I think I've mentioned this, so she's in grad school for a fashion marketing degree and she's had, uh, landed an internship this summer for, uh, one of the biggest, uh, PR firms here in New York city working with their fashion division. So congratulations on that. Uh, other than that, it's been slow on my end, I just want to say, everybody, wash your goddamn hands, even when the coronavirus is gone. Uh, stop hoarding toilet paper because wiping your ass isn't going to save you against this thing. So calm the hell down. And seriously, stay home if you don't need to go out. Food's going to be there. Everything's going to be okay. Don't watch the stock market. Nobody cares. It's going to be fine. I uh, I actually recommended to the first lady, too, that you should also start a uh, outfit of the day Insta story as well for all the fans and listeners. Oh, yeah. She did tell me that. So I'll do that tomorrow. I'll send you a outfit of the day every day and tell you what I'm wearing. Her, her recommendation of what it would be, like the breakdown, was hysterical. And I was <laughs> laughing because I was like... Old Navy? I was like, oh, my God. That's fucking... that. That's my wheelhouse right there. Like an Old <laughs> Navy team with some Old Navy jeans. Like, I'm all over that shit. Yep. <laughs> so... She knows the deal. Oh, uh, Everybody, as always, thank you for listening. Like Benny said, wash your goddamn hands first and foremost. Uh, Hand sanitize. uh, Just be normal fucking humans for for the love of God. Uh, On our end, we promise to not do you like that and, you know, miss a show like we did last week. It was a little crazy, but everybody, thank you for listening. We will catch you next week with another jam-packed episode of 2, 5, and 10. We'll see you there.